When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to A Word with Tom Merritt. I'm Tom Merritt, and as you know, if you've been listening, this show was born out of my desire to have conversations about how we approach things. There's no end of people out there telling you what to think, and many of them are worth listening to, but there's no chance for all of us to be experts or even listen to every expert out there. So we have to take shortcuts, and the idea here is to talk to people about how they filter information, how do they decide what to bring into their brain, which shortcuts to take, and how to operate in a world that has never been richer in information. Uh, and these kinds of conversations are the kinds of conversations I've been having on my entire life. I used to talk to my grandma Roxy and my grandpa Carl. Uh, they were not married to each other. They were on different sides of the family. My grandpa and I would sit in their front room uh, and solve the problems of the day, as he put it. Uh, then I'd go over to my grandma's front room and she would tell me stories and involve me in those stories and help me understand how the life works. So I got a lot of different ways of looking at the world and great conversations. And I consider it to be training for this show. So welcome into the front room, Annalie Newitz. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Uh, Annalie is the author of Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age, uh, a podcaster extraordinaire, and uh, very, very excited to talk to you today. Yeah, I'm excited to find out what we're going to talk about. So the word I thought we'd kick off our conversation with is categories. And I've been thinking a lot about how we categorize ourselves. And I, I have the idea, I don't know if it's true or not, but I have the idea that we categorize ourselves more now than ever before because we have fandoms, uh, we have political parties, uh, we have uh, gender identities, sexual preference, uh, locations where we live, states, countries, cities, we have loyalties to operating system platforms. There's so many ways that we can categorize and label ourselves. And it it made me think of when Facebook first launched and it gave you the the labels thing where you could like pick your interests and everybody kind of categorized themselves. Do you think that we are more categorized, more self-categorized, or is that just that typical prejudice we have of always thinking our time is different than others? I mean, I think it's a little of both. I think that now the way we categorize ourselves is more obvious because we have so many more ways of just broadcasting our different Mm -hmm. categories to people, especially on social media, where you really can be like, you know, hashtag Linux, hashtag Star Trek, you know, every other hashtag you'd like to have. And those categories kind of stick to you and don't ever come off. And I think that's Another reason why it seems like there's so many categories out there now, because even if you identify as a Republican when you're a teenager and Mm. then later, you know, come out as a green in your 20s, those screeds that you wrote as a teenager when you were a Republican are often still available online for people to dig up and throw in your face. And it makes our categories feel more 
part of who we are, but also it makes them feel more weaponizable at the same time. And maybe hard to escape. Like once I'm in a category, I better stick there or I'm a hypocrite because it's yeah, my category. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, as someone who I'm a science journalist and I write a lot about history and archaeology. So I look at human culture in deep time and the idea of being categorized is not new. I mean, when you look back at, say, gravestones in ancient Rome, you see people being categorized by family, by where they're from. In fact, where they're from is often a component of their names. Mm -hmm. um, a component of their name might also reveal whether they've been enslaved or not, um, you know, what kinds of jobs they've had. So people have been categorizing themselves, but Again, you know, usually the only time that would become really kind of written in stone, as it were, is hmm. when you make your grave. As you know? literally and when so, they write it in stone. Yeah, <laughs> literally when they carve it in stone, as opposed to like wearing a giant stone sign around your neck that says <laughs> hashtag Linux forever. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and having to explain to, to all the other people on the archipelago uh, <laughs> what Linux was. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. It's Ionian of, so Linux you know the is way better. Mechanism. It's, so imagine that's really complicated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> totally. I, it, it made me think just now, like that names are our first category. Like, in, in the sense of our, our our proper name, like for me, Tom, is that I categorize myself as Tom versus everything else. But also, like <laughs> you say, like family names, like like your family name can mean like, oh, I'm a member of this unit, this this family unit, which is why it's so interesting that that we want to change family names, right? There's the traditional way of changing it where where the woman would change their name when they're married. And then there's other ways of changing last names where people take stage names or nom de plumes or, or even legally change their name because they just don't want to be associated with it anymore. Yeah, because they just want a different name. Yeah. And I think right now, as we're entering an era when trans politics or trans identity has become so politicized, we've developed a whole new vocabulary where we talk about someone's dead name mm -hmm. and how painful that can be. And I think that's a really interesting lens to look at names through because it shows that a name isn't just a word that you kind of carry around. It can actually be hurtful or, or it can be a joy if you get to pick a new name that you feel like fits your identity better. So it, I do think that that's a really important place to start when you're thinking about categories. And categories are name-like, right? They because because the name distinguishes who I'm talking about. When I say Annalie uh, to Amos, he's like, "Oh, you're talking about Annalie." Okay, yeah, you're not mm -hmm. talking about Roger. You're not you're not talking about, <laughs> about Dave. Uh, you know, there's the simple utility of that, but then there's also the family name can often indicate not only what family in in smaller regions or in older times it could indicate like oh you're of that clan or or something but it can also indicate or and sometimes not accurately but it could indicate like oh you're irish or you're nigerian because i know you know that name is usually associated with that um and and then there's the name of like oh you're the android fan oh you're the you're the star <laughs> trek person uh you know mm -hmm. like that those categories also can be used as names. 
Yeah. And you know, it's funny because names are always controversial in some ways. Like you said, when you were like, well, a name can maybe reveal your national origin Mm. or your ethnicity. And um, of course, not always accurately. And I was just thinking about when you uh, had told me we were going to talk about categories, I realized that the the time in my life when I learned what a category was, mm-hmm. was when I first was introduced to the Dewey Decimal System. Okay. And I was like, oh my God, every text in the world has a name and a number and a place. And it's really a hop, skip and a jump from the Dewey Decimal System to thinking about genres like science fiction mm-hmm. or fantasy or horror. Um, and in fact, the Dewey Decimal System, I believe, does not reflect that, but it certainly has a category for fiction as opposed to, say, history. Um, two categories that maybe we've forgotten how to distinguish between <laughs> at this point in history. But I think it's so funny that, you know, just announcing the name of a category that you like, say, science fiction, can arouse so much rage um, and so much uh, intensity of feeling. And I do think it's because people really want to kind of police the boundaries of their categories. You know, I'm sure you have also been in arguments with people about, is Star Wars actually fantasy or Mm. is it science fiction? And like, I don't get very exercised about that because I'm one of those people who's more of a, you know, let it be whatever it is. It can be six different categories if it wants, but it's it's a source of great agony for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> on on the Sword and Laser podcast, we we often in the community around it get into arguments about whether something belongs in science fiction or fantasy because you know that's the premise of the show sword and laser we're we're trying to do both mm-hmm. but also is it hard sci-fi or soft sci-fi uh. is it space opera or you know and and it's <laughs> it's intersectional man it's exactly. all of the things <laughs> that's almost always where i end up cuz it's like sure it's kind of fun to figure out like oh what elements of it are space opera and what elements are, of it are hard sci-fi and and that but at a certain point when the argument gets intense i am definitely the person Person who goes like, you know what? You can put it in whatever category is useful for you, if it's useful yeah. at all, or you could just enjoy the book. <laughs> yeah, let it feel good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why do you think that is though? Why are people so intense about policing the boundaries of those categories? I don't. You know, that's a great question because I think categorization is and and this is the way I tend to try to think about things try to understand things is imagine like okay in a simple society that we evolved from that needs to survive in a world of predators and limited resources and all that uh what could be an explanation and categories are one a great way of knowing what's in your tribe and what isn't right mm-hmm. like who's the friendly locals who are the ones that we have to watch out for it also is super important for understanding what to eat <laughs> and what not yeah like what's mm-hmm. poisonous and what's not and so maybe there's an evolutionary advantage to having someone who's very strict about categories and you put them in charge of the plants <laughs> <laughs> they're the chef <laughs> yeah but that skill should definitely not be you know uh, in in always in use for 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 everything but yeah maybe that maybe there's there's an advantage to categorization in certain like survival mechanisms like that that mm-hmm. cause that to crop up and we're and a little it just bit spills disconnected over. From that. yeah yeah it's the yeah. best i, I mean, can come certainly... up with off the top of my head 
Yeah, I mean, certainly cognitive science scientists have talked a lot about the biases that we have, where we always are trying to categorize self and other, mm-hmm. us and them. And so it makes sense that if our brains are kind of looking for different categories, we're going to just displace it onto everything. Yeah, you know? like yeah. including, including like, to go back to the science fiction and fantasy example for a second, the thing about stories is that we seek them out to make us feel better a lot of the time or to make sense of the world. Mm -hmm. And so it does make sense that if we have a primal urge to kind of turn the world into things that are safe and things that are dangerous, that stories are going to kind of punch that button a little Mm -hmm. bit because we're using the story to explain the world. And if that story is being interpreted by someone else to be different how can that explain the world? You know, like, yeah. I think that this story is a romance, but you think it's a war story. What? Okay, that's it. We're just never going to be friends again. Yeah. And that also ties into the expectation aspect of it, right? Where on the survival end, like, I need to expect that the story is going to give me the useful information to survive, right? Uh, in, mm-hmm. in the modern side, it it comes out as I like hard sci-fi and you told me this was hard sci-fi and it's space opera. And I'm now I'm disappointed. You know, I needed that hard sci-fi to survive my crappy final exam. (laughs) Okay. Like I was looking forward to it all day. (laughs) (laughs) It is true because there's nothing worse than being let down by a story that you were waiting for. And you were like, I thought this was going to be the ultimate lesbian vampire romance. And instead it was like about, organizing a party at the beach like nobody even kissed and ugh. yeah, yeah that's and the, the only vampire was was a, a wall wart that wasn't plugged into anything like, that doesn't count <laughs> totally <laughs> that really doesn't count not Fire in that, that story anyway like, um yeah i i think there's something to expectation there's something to mm-hmm. to saying like you know i need I, I I only have so much time. I need to to be efficient with my resources. So categories help me understand what I'm going to get. And when a category is misapplied, then you know it's I, destabilizing. I've made you feel like you've wasted your time. Yeah, yeah, you feel like you've wasted your time. But it it is if we can to if we go back to thinking about categories as names. Like I said, it's destabilizing. Like mm-hmm. the name is what tells you who you are. And what other people are. And if you're presented with something and you're told it's one thing and it turns out to be something else, you're like, wait, but who am I? Yeah. You know, it's like the existential moment of like, oh, no, if that category is not working the way I think, maybe I'm not really what I think. Which, I mean, nobody wants to be in that place of, of existential dread. <laughs> right, right. Not, not Even though not we without, probably uh, should be more Not without often. guidance and the proper... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hand-holding, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, the proper hard sci-fi narrative at the end of the day yeah. as a reward. <laughs> I, I think uh, w- that's a really good point because we were communicating over email right and so my mm-hmm. expectation was the Annalie that i was talking with over email was the Annalie who would show up here i would have been very surprised had i don't know uh tobias buckley showed up and instead <laughs> instead of you i would have been like hey, you. that's not the Annalie i was expecting yeah it could have been leanne my <laughs> my bearded dark half <laughs> yeah right right so i think categories are useful but we have to remember that they are 
only they're a blunt tool, they're a blunt instrument, right? So they're they're helpful in knowing what to expect, but you have to remember that the world isn't categorized. The world is a yeah. is a spectrum of things, right? And there will always be those edges between categories where the space opera has some hard sci-fi in it, right? Yeah, and that has to be something that we are comfortable with. And it's hard to be comfortable, especially at a time, for example, right now, where a lot of things are feeling unstable. I think a lot of us want to cling to categories that make us feel safe and stable. Yeah. But if the scientific method teaches us anything, it's that every category is provisional. That's why in science, we talk about having a hypothesis when we mean something that we've discovered through experimentation, right? Mm -hmm. It's as true as we know, but it could change at any time. And one of the greatest categorization efforts ever in the history of science is biologists trying to create massive taxonomies of every life form on earth, right? And, you know, two, 300 years ago, that seemed like a really easy thing to do, right? Like every tree has a name, yeah. every species has a name. And by the way, it's very easy to tell the difference between <laughs> each species. And now that we have, you know, really sophisticated tools for looking at the genetic makeup of so many life forms, we realize actually, no, the line between species is incredibly fuzzy. Species are changing all the time. They're still evolving. Humans are still evolving. All of those safe categories are under revision. And and that's just hard. And I think when you kind of translate that into the realm of culture, like what we're talking about, and you start saying like, well, guess what? Science fiction that was accepted 20 years ago is kind of not really considered the same. It is not considered as desirable, perhaps, um, now. Um, you know, the genre is changing. That's that's just hard for people to hear. They want to have the same old genre or the same old set of animals that they had, yeah. you know, a long time ago. Or Pluto. Boy, I mean, talk about a categorization uh, controversy, right? I know. And, you know, it's fine. Pluto is a planetoid. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, we still have Pluto. Yeah, Pluto did Pluto doesn't care to be honest. Pluto's still up there like I'm I'm in my crazy elliptical orbit, you know. I like, know exactly. I got an awesome moon that's practically the same size as me. We're having a great time. You can't categorize me. <laughs> totally. Am I me or am I a moon? My I don't category know. is Pluto. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> yeah. Aww, I, well, I, w I was thinking when you were talking about the the sort of Linnaean classification uh, sort of stuff that mm -hmm. when you're at the 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 deep view, the far view, it seems easy to categorize, right? Like you were saying, mm -hmm. like that's a tree and that's a bear, pretty easy to categorize, <laughs> uh -huh. right? And like that tree's a spruce, that tree's a maple. So even when we get a little closer, it's still pretty easy to categorize. It's when you get closer even more when you have genetic analysis, right? We're getting mm -hmm. really close, and we can see that it starts to blur. And and a spruce and a maple are still easy to keep keep separate but there's these other trees that are you know on the edge and 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 start to be different and you start to think well like wait a minute we used to think these two trees were related but the genetics is showing us that they're not and so you mm -hmm. the boundaries not only fuzz but the 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 arrangement starts to change 
but then you you brought up the science fiction example, which shows that there's it's not just zooming in, zooming out that makes categorization change, but but also time, because yeah. what was considered a category at one point, you know, the 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 just the linguistics change, even uh, if nothing mm-hmm. else, and as well as tastes and everything, and so what we considered science fiction or fantasy in 1898 is certainly different you know again from the zoom out you could be like oh yeah the time machine that's science fiction right but Mm -hmm. but the definition has certainly shifted and the priorities and what we want out of it has shifted uh and and so there's there's that too where i guess what i'm saying is the categories work better at a distance than they work close up and then the the labels of the categories are going to move because language isn't fixed too. Yeah. It's, it's this problem of linear time Mm -hmm. (laughs) where, you know, yeah, language evolves very quickly and, and so do identities. I mean, one of the things that's really fun in archeology span and history is reading about the categories that people thought were incredibly important 2000 years ago. And it's like, Oh, are, are you Ionian? whoa, that means something. And it's like, now we're like, Ionian is a type of column. You know, we Uh don't even realize that it used to be an ethnic group. You're like, no, Um, I'm Ionic and I'm a column. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, and this is kind of the beauty and also the difficulty of of human culture, right? Is that six people can look at the same thing and see something different and all be right. Yeah. Um, and that's hard to deal with. And can, that's why we want categories, right? We want to be able to say, like, let's all agree on this category. And it's yeah. like, but we can't because we have different experiences. And it goes back to the space opera hard sci-fi where one one person sees it one way and one person sees it another. And, and the fact is you're just zoomed in really close. Yeah, you're, you're exactly. Seeing, you know, the old it goes into the old Plato, you know, parable. You're like, no, it's a set of trees. No, it's a rope. It's like, but it's an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but no. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think I think that that's again, I think that's why we like to cling to categories because mm-hmm. they feel like they'll just be these a permanent label that we can all agree on. Um, and that's just really hard. Um, it's really hard to do that outside of certain laboratory conditions. <laughs> but like you say, it helps, it helps us feel better about things. If, if you can, if you can categorize it as like, oh, but that's over there. That's that thing over there. That's a trouble. Uh, I, I remember at one point, uh, I don't know, maybe it was in high school where they were describing feudalism, right? And with feudalism, you didn't own the land. You could work the land, but the land was owned by the king. Uh, and and everybody's like, wow, that was horrible. It was unfair. It's so good that we don't live in that practice. And then <laughs> I, I remember thinking like, well, wait a minute. My parents pay property tax and they can't not pay property tax. And now it's not to the king, but it's to a government. And they can't have the land without that. So 
I'm not sure that that category is all that much different than the category we're in now, but we we gave it different names. So, mm-hmm. and I I hasten to add, like, I do think, you know, a feudal monarchy was much worse to live in than a, a modern uh, democracy, but it may not be as different as I thought, right? And that was the big revelation for me then. Yeah. And I think, again, this goes into what it feels like to live inside something versus what it feels mm-hmm. like to be on the outside. So if you were a serf, um, you might not feel that much different about your job than someone who's a gig worker, mm-hmm. um, who's working for some large corporation that doesn't give a crap about them. You might so, feel more stability as a serf, honestly. Yeah. You might be like, well, at least I have a house yeah. um, and and I'm guaranteed that house as long as I continue to contribute a certain amount of money to my monarch so um, or a certain amount of goods. So yeah, it's I, I always think, um, I think about that a lot right now because when I was growing up, it was really hard for me to imagine um, what it would be like to live in a country with an unstable government. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, there's all these other governments that are so unstable. No wonder everybody wants to come to the United States. And it just felt like this universal truth. Like, oh, well, of course, like, we're just, everything's just great here. And now that I'm seeing, you know, what it's like um, when people start to question the legitimacy of the government and other public institutions. I'm like, Oh, I see how it feels. (laughs) It doesn't feel that weird. Like it doesn't feel like I've entered a hell dimension. It just feels like a slightly worse and worsening version. There's there's some some gray at the edges now that there wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because we all have that thing where whatever way something was when we were young, feels like that's just the way it always has been even if you know and, different. and how it should be yeah, yeah. There, there's just something intrinsic of like no that's the way the world works yeah uh and, it, and it's hard to fight against that and i i have a different i have a feeling of familiarity right now uh because when i grew up the way the world worked was the government doesn't work you can't trust it because of that nixon we will always have inflation and bad economics and uh, we are living in constant peril of immediate destruction because of <laughs> nuclear war. And and so right. the 90s were like a huge, we're like, oh my gosh, it doesn't feel like that anymore. And it was like this post-traumatic sort of uh, yeah. feeling of like, is it ever going to come back? I don't know. It looks like it's okay. And now it's almost easier to deal with like, oh, inflation's back. My old friend, I remember you. Like, oh, potential nuclear war between Russia and the United States. Ah, yes, I've dealt with you before. And mm-hmm. and, and, and it, is, it is a different kind of like, oh, this isn't as bad as I would have expected because it feels disturbingly familiar to something mm-hmm. I had forgotten that I felt. Yeah, there's something very comfortable about the idea of the Cold War, I mm-hmm. think, for people who grew up in a in a more Cold War mindset, right? Like, oh, okay, it's great powers, and they're fighting with big weapons. Okay. And there's nothing we sense. can do about it. So it externalizes the responsibility to a large extent, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, we, like I said, we just slap a label on it, like Cold War. Although mm-hmm. we'll probably 
even if we are entering something that is basically a cold war, we'll probably come up with a different category for it because yeah. we want to feel like we've we've leveled up, right? We're not doing the cold war anymore. <laughs> now it's the tepid war. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the ice war, the tepid war, the Luke Ooh, war. I like the ice war. The ice war sounds like really glamorous. <laughs> yeah. The ice war, if you want to be like, this is like the cold war, but more intense, right? Yeah. 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 It's like the cold war on steroids. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> ice war. Love yeah. it. Yeah. I'm there. <laughs> Do you think we categorize too much or too little? Well, that's a good question. You know, I think it's more that we have, I think we have kind of a a messed up relationship with categories. Mm. Like I actually think it's totally fine for people to just go around categorizing stuff, uh, especially in their heads. Um, you know, sometimes I don't want people to share with me the categories that they're assigning to me because they're just sad and depressing, but whatever, they can have those (laughs) thoughts in their heads. Um, I think that the, the messed up part is that we aren't able to imagine categories changing like Mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier in the conversation or that we can't imagine um, one person or one event or one country or whatever sharing a bunch of different categories, the idea of intersectionality um, is just all about people having more than one kind of identity. Yeah. And I think it would be nice to have a more intersectional approach or perhaps a multi-domain approach might be a better way of putting mm-hmm. it where we just kind of accept that like, oh, well, somebody who's one category one way one day might be different in a year. Um, They might be two categories or 15 categories. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think it would be nice to live in a world where like, we could just kind of shed categories as we changed. Yeah, I like that answer a lot. Because one, one of the things when I was thinking about this was the the sort of the the hippie ethos that was still around when I was young was categories are bad. Don't stick me in a box. Like I'm not right. You can't, you can't categorize me. And more recently it's been, let me embrace my category. Let me, let me empower it. Let me, let me be who, you know, the category that I am and be proud of it. Uh, and, Mm -hmm. and I don't think either one of those are wrong. So I like what I like your answer a lot because it says it's not the category. That's the problem. It's the relationship with it. That just needs to understand that it's, the category isn't everything, right? It's it's got a yeah. like we were talking about before. It's got a, it's got a use, but there's a limit to the use, and it evolves. You yeah. know, categories evolve just as life forms evolve, and people change. And we should maybe be a little bit more forgiving and flexible um, with people who change or who shift their categories or um, or who want to have twelve categories instead of two. You know, it's fine. You know, yeah. have as many. You, you know, it's not dessert. You can have as many servings as you want and you'll still be okay. <laughs> and I really, I don't know if it's because of, of when I grew up, but I kind of resist. I'm like, I don't know if I want a category. Like even in the early days of doing technology at Tech TV and CNET, people are like, oh, you're a geek. I'm like, am I though? Like I, <laughs> and, and it was two parts. One is don't box me in. Don't put me in a category. There's that kind of natural impulse from me. But there's also like, but do I, and do I even deserve it? Do I really qualify? Do I, do I belong? Oh, you know, yeah. do I count? Cause I think mm-hmm. that's another thing where I've thought about like, oh, well, maybe I should describe myself as this before. And like, yeah, but is that putting on airs? Is that being pretentious? Is that, am I, it's I like imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Imposter syndrome for categories. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's true because we were talking about how categories are partly about gatekeeping, which is why people get so exercised about Mm -hmm. like, is Star Wars truly science fiction? Yeah. Um, And, you know, people set themselves up as gatekeepers and say like, all right, well, I'm the one that knows like what (laughs) science fiction really is. And like, you need to pass through my hoop in order to get to this goal. And, you know, that's part of why people got so excited about social media, like back in the, you know, stone age of social media, because it felt like a lot of those gatekeepers who had positions at traditional media outlets were going to be kind of swept away and we'd be able to, you know, pick our own gates mm-hmm. to keep. I'm this metaphor. And, is and actually more we did. That's, that ended up being the problem is we had a lot of, we have a lot of small gates now with a lot <laughs> Yes, exactly. So it's become a crowded field of many <laughs> gates. Um, and, and I think the solution is just like, open all the gates. Let's not have yeah. access controls, you know. Those are the communities I enjoy the most, are a community that's got the gate open. You can come in and enjoy but there, there's not a, there's not a qualification. There's not a, a test that you have to meet. But it's also got a real definition to it, you know, and mm-hmm. it's got that, that gray edge to it. Yeah, I like that too. As long as you kind of contribute, you're welcome to. Yeah, the yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, before we go, uh, we I've, I've been playing a, a little game with folks. It's like a word game uh, called this or that. Uh, so okay. I'll I'll throw out two options. You you pick one and tell me why. Or if you don't want to pick one, tell me why. Okay, I'm ready? ready. This is going to be all about categories, and I'm I'm getting nervous. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I hadn't even thought about it because I've done this okay. on every episode, but one, but the first one. Uh, here we go. The first, the okay. first sides: sound of a dot matrix or sound of a laser printer. Dot matrix. Well, because it's enjoyable. It just sounds nice. Yeah, yeah it's a more you know, it's a richer sound. It, it's, you know, it's, you... it's the vinyl defense. <laughs> Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's got a richer tone than the laser yeah. laser printers all Yeah, have. and it doesn't kind of have that weird smell that laser printers have, which has nothing to do with the sound. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's fair. That's fair. Fast or slow zombies? Fast. You're I'm the a, first person to pick fast. I mean, you know, 28 Days Later is like one of the greatest zombie movies ever made, so... I well, got I got to put in for fast zombies. The everyone is picked slow because they're like I want to get away from them. Oh, I just want to watch the movies. Yeah. No, no, that's <laughs> I'm not that's, worried about real life zombies. <laughs> I've been waiting for someone to make that that choice for that reason. So I'm very very excited. All uh, right, I'm glad to yeah. glad to be here. <laughs> Wells or Vern? Wells. HG or Jules? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wells. He was a feminist. He seems like a good guy. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Kindred or Parable of the Sower? Uh, Kindred, I guess, just because it's more hopeful. Well, they're both kind of hopeful in the usual Octavia Butler way, which is to say tough, hard-earned hope. (laughs) Um, Actually, you know what? I'm changing. I'm changing to Parable of the Sower. I I think actually, yeah, I think that's actually more more hopeful in a weird way. It makes sense. To me, that you would do that because Kindred would be the one I'd pick before 2020, and Parable of the Sower yes. is the one to pick now. Yeah. yeah, they're both great novels. Yeah, yeah, highly recommend. Uh, okay, we'll give you an easier one then: hammock or beanbag chair? Oh, hammock for sure. Beanbag chairs suck. They always <laughs> deflate. Like, have you read a beanbag chair for more than three months, and it just becomes a beanbag puddle? Mm-hmm. Ugh, so. 
just so disappointing. And hammocks are forever. I mean, unless they break, but you know. my hammock is is getting near time for replacement, but it has served me well. I am definitely on the yeah. hammock side for sure. Uh, all right. Turbo encabulator or hyper encabulator? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with hyper encabulator because of the sock drawer. <laughs> <laughs> and in order to understand what I'm talking about, you're going to have to watch the video for the hyper encabulator. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, there were so many encabulators to choose from. It was hard for me to narrow them down. So Me too. <laughs> I hope I picked good ones there. Yeah, um, no, definitely. And if you don't know what a camp- an encabulator is, follow Annalie on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually writing my uh, column for New Scientist this week about the encabulator. Oh, that's so great. Can I can't wait to read Learn that. more. Gamera or Ghidorah? Oh, Ghidorah, obviously. Three heads are better than one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always. Yeah, yeah. I almost Super threw Mothra easy. in this this one. But oh, I, yeah. I felt like Gamera and Ghidorah were closer on the lizard side. It was easier to... (laughs) They're also, like, much more clearly... Well, I guess they're... Yeah, Mothra's a good guy, and so is Gamera, Mm -hmm. whereas Ghidorah's... Let's call Ghidorah gray area. (laughs) Chaotic neutral. (laughs) Yeah, chaotic something, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Savory or dessert crepes? I'm I'm totally bi-crepular. I like them both. Yeah, Um, yeah. You know, maybe one and then the other. So, yeah, I can't... Yeah, I can't decide. I'm, I am going to steal bicrapular from you. That's amazing. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it depends on the it depends on the context. Right. Yeah, it's, it's the moment. Yeah, like, is yeah. it lunchtime or is or have mm-hmm. you just had three what edibles? Have you eaten and... already that day? Yeah. No, yeah. It's a big. Uh, OK, the, la- the last two are the personality test type this or that uh, dogs or cats. Ooh. Cats. I love dogs, though. I don't know. But I. Cats are my best friends. Cats was your, your your gut call, though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And hot or cold? Cold. Is it because sure. it's easier for you to warm up or? Um, if you have ever had a hot flash, also known as a heat bloom, mm-hmm. you will never like heat ever again. I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That, that makes so, a lot of sense. Yes. <laughs> Just not into hot right now. <laughs> I've def- I've usually been the hot side mm-hmm. of this because I always felt when I was in college, I, I went to college at the University of Illinois in Champaign. And when oh, it yeah. would be f- my nose hairs freezing, you know, walking home, mm-hmm. I would say mm-hmm. I am going to get, go to graduate school somewhere warm. Uh, and I always felt like I could I could cool down. I could deal with hot better. But I, I, mm-hmm. I think it is an individual uh, it's an individual thing and like i sleep with a um a, an electric blanket because i do get really cold and like i know i can warm up like you said it's like you can warm up but i just cooling down is is much harder so, yeah yeah all right um yeah, yeah. Well, that's good uh well thank you for the excellent discussion and for playing my silly game yeah thanks for letting me do some arbitrary categorization yeah yeah that was, that was fun <laughs> that was fun uh if folks want to find your twitter your work where should they go so you can find me on the web at annaleenewitz.com i'm annalee in on twitter and uh, my podcast is called our opinions are correct and that comes out every other week with me and my co-host charlie jane anders 
Do you know, I have to, I have to tell you this because I said it to them. Do you know there's a new podcast called We Are Not Wrong? No, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it is. We uh, need to like, yeah, team up. <laughs> Justin Robert Young, Andrew Heaton, and Jennifer Briney. Uh, it, they all three do political podcasts and they're coming together with their different perspectives. And as soon as they promoted it, I was like, my dream is a crossover event between our opinions are correct and we are not wrong someday. Yes. We're all we're all on the we're having the same vibe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. well thank you so much, Adley. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.